Welcome to B-Team Tips. I'm your host, Kristen Noop. I'm surprised how often I get asked about which Bible translation to use. Why not use a few? My first study Bible, which I got in college, was the Ryrie Study Bible in the good old NASB, or the New American Standard Bible. The NASB is what you might call a more literal, formal, word-for-word translation. Poor college Kristen, I ended up with perhaps the most woodenest version out there. But it's okay, because those kinds of translations are fantastic for deep-dive Bible study, and college is where a love for Bible study was really stoked in my heart. All translations can be plotted along a continuum of word-for-word to thought-for-thought to really more of a paraphrase, and I'll have a link to an infographic in the show notes. The more word-for-word translations will sacrifice a little bit of clarity to stay as close as possible to the original Greek and Hebrew manuscripts. They go word-for-word in their translations. If the Greek says a denarius, for instance, which is a unit of currency, these translations will not go ahead and sub in a day's wage to help the reader with understanding sort of the context for that currency. Word-for-word translations include the NASB, the ESV, which is the English Standard Version, and the New King James. Your thought-for-thought or dynamic translations will bring in more contemporary language to convey the main idea of the verse as best as possible. A few examples include the HCSB, the Holman Christian Standard Version, which is actually my current study Bible of choice, the New Revised Standard Version, which is the NRSV, and this is the official pew Bible of Memorial Drive Presbyterian Church, where I work and worship, the NIV, which is the New International Version, is in this camp, as is the New Living Translation, or NLT. The New Living Translation is a great example of thought for thought. It does a nice job keeping the integrity of the verse, but does so in modern language so it reads smoother. There's a trade-off, however. What you gain in clarity in these thought for thought translations, you lose in the ability to make a few judgment calls for yourself. What I mean is these thought for thought translations also do quite a bit sometimes, sometimes just a little bit of interpretation for you. So they aren't necessarily recommended for serious Bible study. Use them for devotional reading or as a complimentary version when you're trying to get another picture of what might be the big idea of a passage. And then you have translations that are really more of a paraphrase. The message is a great example here. I love the message. Romans chapter eight from the message is nothing short of a symphony. What Eugene Peterson did here, may he rest in peace, was give himself permission to paraphrase the big ideas of the chapter in extremely accessible modern language, idioms, and concepts. It's very well done, and it reads much more like a novel or a love letter. Eugene Peterson was an exceedingly faithful man, a Presbyterian minister, I might add, who, just like all of these other translations I mentioned, went back to the oldest Greek and Hebrew manuscripts we have and carefully attempted to translate into modern English. And that's really the ultimate test of a faithful translation. Did a group of people trained in the original languages go back to the earliest manuscripts we have and faithfully translate them into modern English? And can this group be honest about their biases? For example, some translations will keep brother where it says brother in Greek. After all, that's what the original author said. This can feel a little bit exclusive to all of the female readers of the Bible. In 2020, where women enjoy greater freedoms, privileges, and social standings than 2,000 years ago, halfway across the world, other translations will decide to supplement brothers and sisters in place of brother. That works for me. It's not exactly what the text said, but if it was said today, that's what it would probably mean. And yeah, women read the Bible. We want to know what it says. And all of it is addressed to us, too. Same with mankind and humankind. We've moved away from mankind culturally and prefer humankind, so lots of translations make this choice too. 
This is why I like having a variety of translations. Sometimes I don't like a group of scholars making decisions for me about what the text means. I like the wooden, formal, word-for-word translations when I just want the stripped-down version. For better or worse, the wooden ones also tend to be the more conservative ones in more ways than one. For example, that thing about brothers versus brothers and sisters, that one was super safe, especially if you live in a modern place that assumes brothers and sisters is the obvious choice. Here's one that is a bit more dicey. Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is right on the cusp of a section of Paul's letter to churches that deals with what are referred to as the household codes, rules for marriage, children, and don't hate me, but it does talk about treatment of slaves. A lot of Paul's letters follow a similar pattern, a familiar pattern to the first century audience, the original audience. The first half is building a theological argument, the what, and the second half deals with the implications for living it out, or the so what. This is where you find Ephesians 5.21, the so what, the implications for living out the gospel. If you have access to a Bible right now, hit pause and go find Ephesians 5.21. Where does this verse fall in the breakup of sections and the insertions of subtitles? For the record, Paul did not include subtitles. Paul didn't even have chapter or verse numbers. This was all added later, starting with paragraphs in the 4th century. Y'all, there weren't even paragraphs before that. Chapters came maybe in the 13th century and verse numbers in the 16th century. And the subtitles? Super modern. Okay, does Ephesians 5.21 fall as the last line of the previous section before the section about wives and husbands? Or is it the first verse in the section about wives and husbands? That is an interpretive choice your Bible translation chose to make, and there are people who think that that choice has consequences. Like, why not start the marriage section with submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? I mean, that seems like most healthy marriages I know. I mean, yes, absolutely. Wives, submit to your husbands. Don't be a bia and think that everything revolves around you. Honor him. He knows some things. His opinions matter, and he's not an idiot. Let his word have the final say sometimes. He loves you, and if you always push for your way, you may always get it, but yikes, I would not want to be married to that. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Remember how Jesus did that? He died for her. He surrendered his position in heaven to redeem her. Husbands, submit your own desires and impulses and ego in service to her. I mean, most husbands I know don't need to be told that their brilliant wives will sometimes have the better plan, and when her plan is the better one, go with it. I know. This is getting into a lot more theological conversation, opening a can of worms, and this is not the only section of scripture that talks about marriage and submission or how this somehow reveals the mysteries of the Godhead, and I'm super down to have those conversations. The thing is, when you make the choice to put the submission verse separate from the marriage address, historically, you give some jerks a little bit of ammo to lord this concept over their wife. You submit to me. See? It says it right there. And this has led to all kinds of well-documented and super awful abuse within the church. Let's not be about that. Let's submit to one another out of reverence for Christ as the basis for healthy marriage. I mean, if you're married and you're happy, you're probably already doing that anyway. Another thing to think about is you may find out that your church has a preferred translation. This might tell you something about the flavor of your church since each translation does have something of an agenda. This isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's helpful to be aware of what that agenda is, who wrote it, what their affiliations are. You get the idea. If you'd like to know more about this, let me know and I can look into a translation 2.0 episode with more detail. 
Bottom line is you really can't go wrong with any of these translations I've mentioned. So get a couple, a word for word, a thought for thought, and a paraphrase. It's nice to change it up because when biblical phrases become too familiar, we have the tendency to just glaze over them. Slightly different phrasing can jolt us back into being active readers of our sacred scripture. And that's the kind of reader that we want to be, active and actually doing it, actually reading the sacred scripture. Or you can always get the Bible app on your phone where you can easily toggle back and forth between translations. Hey, thanks for checking out B-Team Tips.